Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle children of history, man. Middle of the day, Alfred? Please, take a seat there. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle, it's a base hit! Meeting in the middle. Fight, fight. They fought for the freedom of middle. Middle of middle. The middle of the middle. The middle of a war! Friggin' ridiculous! Why don't we have a seat to talk about? No! Not the middle seat! Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Middle Seats Podcast, the best seat in the house for all things movie and entertainment. This is episode number four. I'm your host, Andrew Roger, and you have the right to remain silent for this episode of the Middle Seats Podcast. It's time to meet who's on our squad. He's our resident good cop. He has a heart of gold, Mr. Nate Lungarini. How you doing, sir? I'm doing fantastic. I hope everybody listening is having a fantastic day. And he's our resident bad cop with a heart of steel. Mr. Jake Hensler, what's got you annoyed? What the hell am I a bad cop about? I'm actually in a great mood. Global, I have a love-hate relationship with global warming, and global warming has been treating me very well, so I'm not in that bad of a mood. The best romance since Twilight, Jake Hensler and global warming. If you're just joining us for the first time, the Middle Seats Podcast is the best seat in the house for all things movie and entertainment. Like I said, our show is a three-structured show. We start every show with Lobby Talk, where one member of the crew proposes a topic. This week it'll be my choice, and we'll get into that in a bit. Then we talk about the biggest news in movies and entertainment, and then we move into our feature review, which is of the long-awaited sequel, Blade Runner 2049. Big week for movie, guys. A lot we have to talk about, but we got to see each other over the weekend. In the flesh, in the bone. We did, we did. Um, I'm not honestly sure how we survived, because Jake still was an idiot, and Drew was MIA for most of the weekend, but we're all good. Uh, You were MIA for most of the weekend. Hey, you drank more than I did. Yeah, Nate, we should talk about your Friday night. So, Nate and I see each other at the bar on Friday night, Um, not to embarrass him. But he is sitting there. We have a brief conversation. He's sitting there at the bar, and he spills over a cup of water. And I don't know whether to tell him to stop or not, but then I just let him go. I was like, I want to see what happens here. And he takes the ice cubes that fell on the bar and just starts playing with them. Like he's playing some kind of like tic-tac-toe or he's putting together a puzzle. You got to keep, <laughs> keep the mind active when you're in that sort of state, Drew. I'm clearly just making sure my motor reflexes were still good. <laughs> you're massaging the cranial cortex to make sure that you're not going to go comatose after that horrible hangover you probably had. You can't help but day. fidget. I was fine. I was fine. <laughs> for someone that usually goes missing, Jake, I actually kept a count of for most of the weekend. <laughs> yeah. Um, Somehow. Uh, considering my... My track record of senior year, I had a relatively tame weekend. Yeah, it, I, there have been times where we've thought about having to call the cops because Jake has been gone for so long. I, I've patrolled the streets of Poughkeepsie for this And man. guess what? Guess Twice. what? I always <laughs> end up in bed uh, fine. Not unscathed, but fine. Yeah, I had to break into your house to make sure you were there. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, karma's going to come soon for you, Jake. I, I'm just Great. telling you that. But anyway, we're going to move into our main show. Enough of our drunken escapades from the weekend. Let's talk about some movies, and let's talk about Lobby Talk. Let's all go to the lobby. You in the lobby? What do you look like? I will blow up the block before you can make the lobby. So it's my week to propose the topic, and I wanted to talk about something that has been really affecting me recently in my trips to the movies. Um, So I've been going to a lot of stuff in the afternoon recently, Um, because I'm unemployed and I have a lot of time on my hands. Um, And 
I've been going to see when I saw Mother by Darren Aronofsky, and I saw Battle of the Sexes, um, the new tennis comedy drama f- by, with Emma Stone and Steve Carell in it. Um, it was a pretty relatively empty theater. It was me and a few other people. However, a couple of these few other people decided that it would be okay to sit next to me um, in a whole empty theater of about 200 to 300 seats. They picked the seats either right next to me to my left or my right or right behind me. So for Mother, this means that I got uh, elderly people, senior citizen audio track commentary for the entire movie. I got narration through the entire thing. And for Battle of the Sexes, I got a lot of kicking on my chair and my seat. Now, here in the middle seats, we pride ourselves on picking the best seat in the house. We are, it's our whole basis of our rating system. It's the basis of our entire theater experiences, the best seat It's in our name. (laughs) It's in our name. However... I don't really have an answer for this, but I just wanted to talk about what is the theater etiquette when it comes to a 500-seat auditorium and that seat that you really want is right next to the other person in the theater. Is it okay to take that seat? Jake, what do you think? Um, Well, this starts off with knowing yourself. If you're someone who is a little rowdy, who's a little fidgety, who can't stay off their phone, be, be polite and don't sit too close to that person. But generally speaking... Like for myself, it's an empty theater. I will always go for, hence the middle seat. I will always go for the middle seat. Um, so if somebody is in the middle seat, I won't sit next to them, but maybe a couple of seats down or maybe right in front or right behind them. But I do want the best seat in the house for the best viewing experience. So for me, right next to a person, if you can if you can avoid being right next to a person, do it because it's just weird and uncomfortable and unnecessary. But sitting behind a person, as long as you don't kick their seat and you're not being an asshole, sitting behind is fine. So you at least believe in the idea of the buffer seat. Yeah, for the most part. If you can't avoid it, whatever, but yes. I I follow urinal procedure. Ideally, I'm (laughs) two seats away, but (laughs) if it's crowded, it'll be one seat away. Uh, Um, That's that's a whole separate topic. If you have a packed theater, theater, then you got to just do what you got to do and sit next to people. That's all fine, Dandy. You're all there to enjoy a movie. But speaking to your experience as an emptier theater, uh, I'll generally, I'll definitely avoid the left or right of you, but I will generally use the the rows to get middle seats. So if there's a group of people already in the middle seats of one row, I'll sit in the row behind and have no issue with that. Same thing with the row yep. in front. Um, just because that way the most people get to see the middle seat, you know? I would say I'm salty because I'm a, I'm a little salty because the experiences um, have just become highlighted to me where I had a bad theater going experience. And that's another topic for another time specifically. But Jake, I think you put it really well when you're talking about you have to know yourself as a viewer, because if you're someone that's going to be disrespectful, I would go as far away as possible from a person. Like there are movies where, you know, there there's stuff that I have to see because I try to see everything, but it's not a movie I'm go- I know I'm going to be not invested in. Like if I'm going to see My Little Pony or something like that. I'm 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 okay. not going to be that into it. Disclaimer probably. for those who don't know the three of us extremely well. We Nate and I try to get to as much as we can. We don't always get we we won't we will not get to everything. Andrew gets to everything including My Little Pony, including everything you can think of if it hits theaters, 99% chance he's seeing it. If it comes out of projector, he's seen it. <laughs> yeah. I, Jake, I like how you were like my disclaimer at the end of like a, a pill commercial. Like <laughs> the thoughts and views of Andrew does not express the rest of us. We're not all creeps that go see My Little Pony. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is if it's a movie that I know I'm not going to be exactly invested in, 
maybe the middle seat right behind the person is not going to be that important because I'm going to go sit somewhere else and if I'm going to check my phone every once in a while. However, I, I do see where you guys are coming from when it's something that I'm really into and it's something that I really want the best seat possible for. And I know that's our mantra too. Amen, hallelujah. Amen, hallelujah. So so what's our final verdict here about and do you have any experiences, bad experiences that you can think of off oh, the Oh yeah, of your you head? wanna you wanna talk uh, that or should we wait for another show? No, I'm talking as, as specifically of people sitting okay, next to you. Okay, okay, fine. The bad experiences overall. I know Jake just literally grabbed a notebook and started <laughs> to have, flip through it. I have notes on notes on notes. <laughs> a little black book. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure, Jake, I'm sure you're in a lot of other people's notebooks too, is that guy that yelled at them across the theater for talking too loud. Well, they started it, so I don't really care. Um, yeah, if we're if we're doing final thoughts on, on our first topic, um, honestly, my main thing, if you have to sit next to me or right in front or right behind or vice versa, just... Just be polite, don't be obnoxious, and you know we won't have any problems. And if you're going to be on your phone the whole time, you're going to be kicking, talking, throwing popcorn, making out, whatever. You know, don't be an issue. You don't come. Well, maybe you come to the movie to make out, but you don't come to the movie to be an asshole. So, so don't be. That's my final thoughts. Have you had an experience like that where someone was making out right next to you? Say, let's expand this to a crowded theater right now, because <laughs> I, I've, I'm kind of curious if you have a story like that. <laughs> if, either of you. Nah, never. Um. I mean, wow, I've, I've, I've been the one and then gotten oh, pelted, no. but God damn it, Jake, and then got pelted with popcorn, but that was like high school. But, um, there, there have been a, there was one time actually I was seeing baby driver with my dad and my brother and this couple, you didn't start making out then, right? What? No, what? I don't, so, so there was this couple <laughs> sitting next to us and they kind of were breaking up our, our seats and, oh no, no, they, they offered to move behind us. Like, like we're persistent in it. And my brother was like, my brother wanted to sit alone behind us because he likes, he doesn't like people sitting next to him at all. So he wanted to sit behind us and they were like, no, no, really, we'll see behind you. And I texted my, my brother like, listen, I don't think they're here to watch the movie, but li- nothing happened and everything was fine. <laughs> that would have been funny if he was third wheeling with that. <laughs> like completely unintentionally. He just keeps leaning in. This movie's awesome, right? <laughs> the, what? <laughs> Um, Nate, what do you, do you agree with Jake's final sentiments? That's how the policy should go. In terms of where you sit? Yeah, the unofficial policy, I should say. Yeah. It's, if you have to sit next to me, then you just gotta be polite is all. Like, um, keep the, keep the side conversations to a minimum. 100%. Um, all that jazz. But I am a absolutely no phones, uh, policy guy. I absolutely hate it when people go on their phone um because even if you're in the very corners of the theater that bright light distracts me from my movie that's annoying as all hell and i hope that i'm not the only one who feels the same way about that because it is my biggest pet peeve of the movie theater if you want to watch a movie and be on your phone at the same time watch your movie at home you do not need to interrupt my theater experience so you can see if so and so texted you See, the only – I'm going to play slight devil's advocate here. I, obviously, I phones are a big no-no for the most part. The only reason I ever check my phone is because if I'm seeing movies back to back to back to back, I have had no contact with the outside world. My parents don't know where I am. My girlfriend doesn't know where I am. So if it's in a lull and then I'm not in someone's way, then I'll be like, okay, let me see if there's someone that I can respond to and not piss someone off. 
That's the only time I'm ever on my phone, really. Okay, one... And I still hate you for it. One, Nate just just went full dad scolding mode. I felt the wrath of dad. Two, Andrew, that's an easy fix. Just text them beforehand. I'm going to be gone for seven and a half hours. That's what the trailers are for. I'll let you go on your phone. Um, Ideally, during the commercials, while you're waiting for the previews to start. That's the best place to go on your phone, Drew. Did you just say, tell them that I'm going to be gone for seven and a half hours? I really would like to see how that would go for you. <laughs> I mean, I think everybody who knows you knows that you do this. Right. So. <laughs> um, one more point I was just thinking of before we retire this topic. Um, say the person that's sitting next to you has, let's say they don't have the best hygiene and they they kind of smell like they've been in a theater for eight hours. Um, are you going to get up then? Or oh, are I'll you move. going? I will move immediately. I cannot <laughs> sit next to somebody for two hours and not be distracted or just grossed out. Wow, you just smell. You just threw that out right <laughs> out the window. You're Done. like, oh, I'm I'm gonna take this seat. This is my seat. Fuck everybody else around me. And then it's like, oh, well, I get a whiff of some kind of like Cheeto basting. I'm gonna move. <laughs> I, I think it depends. If it's yeah, if it's that bad and I can move, yeah, I probably will. Best viewing experience possible. Okay. And if that means moving away from the smelly guy, okay. move away from the smelly guy. Or girl, I don't discriminate. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we're all in agreement that, that we want the best movie viewing experience possible. I think we've exhausted this topic. That'll do it for Lobby Talk. We're going to move into our news segment. And this just in, a news break special report. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. So the big bombshell out of Hollywood this week, the entire ongoing sexual harassment, outgoings, and allegations against big-time producer Harvey Weinstein, producer of major films like all of Quentin Tarantino's pictures, the Lord of the Rings films, Sex, Lies, and Videotapes, a bunch of Steven Soderbergh films. He has been accused by 23 women, as of this recording, of some sort of sexual harassment. This is various degrees of harassment coming from pieces uh, from different various news outlets like the New York Times, the New Yorker, the Rap, um, all horrifying, completely abhorrent abuses of power. The biggest names, um, but certainly not the worst cases, Gwyneth Paltrow, Rose McGowan, Angelina Jolie, Cara Delevingne have all come out and spoken out against Harvey Weinstein. And there's just a lot of pent-up history in the last 25 years that is starting to become unsheathed. A lot of the male bigwigs that have worked with Harvey Weinstein are a lot of under are under a lot of fire with reports that Matt Damon and Russell Crowe have tried to kill stories that would have hurt Weinstein's career. Since Saturday, I believe, it was either Saturday or Sunday, Weinstein was fired from his company after a pretty slimy and desperate attempt to email all of the executives in Hollywood to save his ass. And guys, there's a lot to digest here. This is one of the biggest kind of Hollywood bombshells in a long, long time as far as horrible acts happening and something that's been built up almost on like a spotlight level, the spotlight level of the Catholic church unsheathing. Um, Nate, I know there's a lot to process here. What are your thoughts on these allegations and the kind of pent up history and what you've read about it? Yeah, this, this story is nuts and it's still developing too, which is crazy. Um, this guy's a slime ball. He's a total slime ball and asshole. And I, I hope he gets the justice he deserves because these stories that are coming out against all these different people, men, women, whatever, are just terrifying. And the idea that so many people were essentially bullied into putting up with this man so that way they could start their careers, 
is just horrible. As like an empire, Hollywood has a huge black stain that they're going to have to deal with for a very long time, especially if it comes out that they've been covering up stories to protect this slime ball of a man. It's gross. It's really gross. With all the names that are involved, too, this is something that could potentially drag out for the next couple of months. You were saying, absolutely, until the next piece of the news cycle possibly buries it. Jake, I know you have have some extra details that you would bring up as far as, like, Seth MacFarlane and the yeah. 2013 Oscars. There is there is so well, there is so much going on. When you first uh, told, me, told me about it, I only knew the very surface level. I did a little bit more research of my own yesterday, and it is... It's crazy. I mean, and you, you said it before. It's a typical power-hunger producer who thinks he can get away with anything because of who he is. Um, and it's really terrible. He would, you know, blackmail people like, oh, if you don't do this for me, you'll never go anywhere. I'll badmouth you. You'll never have a job again. Like, it's all really, really messed up stuff. And he's, you know, just such a low life for thinking, for thinking he can get away with it. But, yeah, there was this, uh, this young Italian actress, and apparently he he cornered her and made, you know— and basically, she said no, she said no, she said no, but he's a big dude, and she got so intimidated by him that he, even despite saying no, she kind of just let it happen in fear that he might hurt her. And based on his statements, and another story I heard, I'll go, on, I'll go into the story in a second, it sounds like he doesn't understand no and actually thought it was consent because she didn't fight him off. Like, so she, she made this movie and wrote and put a scene, like directed the movie and put a scene in where this girl has to fight off a producer and he forces her into doing things. And Harvey Weinstein saw the movie that she made and went up to her and went, ha ha, very funny, got me on that one, didn't you? Like, he really thought it was a joke. Like, he didn't think it was a big deal. So, not excusing him, he's, you know, total douchebag, but I wonder if he, if he didn't quite, if he has this distorted view on consent. To, I mean, not all of it, because some are straight up rape, but it seems like in some instances he just wasn't aware so it, I mean, regardless, hope, I hope he gets the in help. My opinion. I I hope he gets the help. I guess I hope he gets the time he deserves, because you know, regardless, he's still a low life, and regardless of what kind of power you have, nobody, absolutely nobody, can treat anybody like that. That scene you're talking about, Jake, the most powerful thing that came from that is that she wrote in her version of the scene, she, the per, the woman gets away, and right. it's absolutely what you mentioned with his size. This is something. All of these accounts have very, very similar connotations. This is something he's tried over and over again. He's pulled the same shit for 25 years. And they all have to do with massages. They all have to do with bath, bath robes. robes. It is, <laughs> a little wine. A little ass- wine. Assistance leaving um, after the beginning. All kinds of stuff. It's quid pro quo to a definition. It's I have something you want. You're an attractive female and you're – someone that needs something from me so i'm going to take advantage of you it is textbook sexual harassment right um casting couch it's exactly we currently live in a culture and i'm not trying to get too i'm not going to try to get too political or anything with this here just to briefly mention but it's really sad what's going on widespread throughout the country we currently live in a culture where our our president may or may not be a validation of this terrible behavior there needs to be a change and it needs to start with the men um, how many of the the Weinstein twenty five to thirty men that were represented, um, and asked for a comment, responded? Not that many. Well, so or, far, originally none. Um, I know Affleck and Clooney at least have since. Like originally, they were asked to speak out, and nobody had. I know at least Affleck and Clooney have spit, uh, spoken out since. Ruffalo was not asked, but has been very vocal about it. What's he? Um, what have they said, Jake? 
um, they've they basically they all say a lot of the same stuff. They they didn't know or they didn't know to the extent. Had they known, they would have put a stop to it. it was, it's shame happening there under their noses. It's despicable. It's disgusting. It's a disgrace. Um, it's a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but but I, how, I haven't heard that. How many naive men speak can up. you be? Well, I mean, how naive can they really be? It it, it it's, seems to be this like kind of inside information that everyone in Hollywood. Yeah, it knows sounded like everyone knows. On. Do you want to talk about the McFarlane quote now? To give a good example. Yeah. yeah, that's a good one, Jake. So what year was it? 2013 Oscars? I believe so, yeah. 14? 20, 2013 or 14 Oscars. Seth MacFarlane made a made a joke um, when presenting the, the five Best Actress nominees. And as when presenting them, he goes, um, congratulations, ladies. None of you no longer have to pretend to be attracted to Harvey Weinstein. And the crowd left. The audience in the, in the theater got it. Like... Like everybody, it seems like pretty much everybody knew the history and what this man was about. At least his reputation, for, for sure. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. His reputation, at least. But you know, nobody really did anything until now. Crazy stuff. Yeah, we and, we live in a society where sexual harassment is becoming more and more uh, punishable and reported, which is a good thing. Thank God. Um, but. That doesn't make up for 25 years of this man getting away with whatever he wants. Right, exactly. Uh, it's disgusting. He needs to get punished. And there needs to be uh, just more forward motion by people that have had to deal with these kinds of incidents, reporting it and um, making sure it doesn't happen again, for sure. And it's it starts with the men, I think. First of all, I think with sexual harassment becoming a lot more prevalent and reported, I think social media has a direct correlation with that, where people can call out specifically. And we've been seeing this throughout the film uh, critic universe as well, with a lot of film critics like Harry Knowles and Andy Signore and Devin Faraci all coming under heat because they were accused of sexual assault. It becomes a lot easier to build a platform for this kind of thing with social media and with the 140 characters that you can get through Twitter or 280 or whatever it is now. It's all of the accountability comes on those who are not harassed but know what is going on. They need to say something, need to step up, and they need to rebel against it. And it's hard, I know, in a very boys' club fraternity system. But it needs there needs to be a change, and hopefully this is the start of a change and the yeah. start of some real justice. Yeah, I you know absolutely. I really hope people can start to be more courageous like this because it's it's absolutely is scary to speak out against a man who can can and has tried to ruin people's careers and lives. It's a terif terrifying thing, you know, to risk and, you know, to really speak up about. But, you know, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad that, you know, he's he's going to get the – I'm hoping he gets the justice he deserves. He's like a – I don't is he a billionaire? At least millions – I mean, he's a multimillionaire, so he might be I'm, able to get out of whatever jail time he's in. Enough to at, go but. to Europe as soon as the story broke. <laughs> yeah. Like like Roman Jesus. Polanski. Sim similar situation there. Um. I have a feeling this is not the last we're going to hear of this story, and I'm oh, sure we will. Not. I'm sure we will cover any updates in the future. But for now, we have to move on um, yeah. to a little <laughs> this bit. Is a long of, story to talk about. Yeah, a little bit of lighter and more exciting news. We got two massive trailers this past week, uh, going into the weekend. Um, we're going to start with the newest, possibly the final trailer for Justice League. Remains in mourning after the death of Superman. Violence, acts of war, and terrorism are all on the rise. I'll take that as a yes. What? I think it's something more. Something darker. We're asking people we don't know to risk their lives. We are not enough. 
That was a snippet of the trailer for Justice League, the film directed by both Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon, and starring, among many, Ben Affleck, Gal Gadot, Ezra Miller, Jason Momoa, Ray Fisher, Jeremy Irons, Amy Adams, J.K. Simmons, and Henry Cavill. Uh, Set to the tune of David Bowie's Heroes, this is ostensibly the final look we'll get at the film before it premieres on November 17th. Now, we've seen a lot of footage from Justice League recently, especially with the Comic-Con trailer two months ago or I guess, yeah, about two months ago, and of course the initial trailer. We still don't know a ton about the plot structure, um, but we've seen plenty of footage and plenty of the team in action at this point. Nate Lungarini, what did you think of this possibly final trailer for Justice League? (laughs) I'm still down on this movie, man. Like, this was probably the best trailer out of the ones that have come out, um, just because it focus more on the heroes doing their thing and not so much on giving away the plot of the movie like they did with Batman versus Superman. Um, but this, this whole franchise irks me because the, all the trailers have started the same way with Superman being this beacon of hope that is now lost. And that was what the original man of steel to start this all off was supposed to be. That was the message of the movie was, uh, the importance of hope in human society and all that jazz and man of steel disappointed me but all these movies are still using that movie to further this point that was never fully made it it just annoys me it really does annoys me um (laughs) in terms of the in terms of the the humor you can definitely hear josh whedon here with a lot of the a lot of little quips that made avengers so much fun but it just feels out of place for me because this whole franchise has been darker. And yes, they're making uh, steps to make it a little bit more like Marvel, so it's a little, little bit more appealing to audiences. It's not all high and mighty all the time. But it just feels so disjointed because you have these big epic uh, speeches and monologues from Batman in this trailer, and then you get the quips from Flash that just feel out of place and forced and not funny. That's my opinion. I'm not excited for this movie. Uh, I'll give it a shot because I'm going to have to, but I'm not looking forward to it. Um, Jake, are you a little bit more excited? or? I, yeah, a little. I'm not – nothing – this was – I agree with Nate on a couple of things. This was definitely the best trailer we've seen. Nothing will change my skepticism. It's a good trailer overall, um, and I think the trailer shows some positives, but because of what Batman vs. Superman and Suicide Squad were – I refuse to get myself ex- overly excited for this movie. Um, and I think the Joss Whedon point is interesting. I, I am curious to see what, not only, you know, behind the scenes, what kind of credit he gets. Is he going to get assistant director? Is he going to get a post-production thing? I'm very curious to see what credits he gets. But his, his style and Zack Snyder's style are so different. What is this movie going to look and feel like? Right. It's going to be so... I rarely... I shouldn't say never. I don't typically hope a movie's bad. And I, I again, I don't hope this is bad. I hope they can get their stuff together. But I, I don't, you know, it doesn't have a good track I'm, record. It's not a good start I'm getting at all. Age of Voltron vibes here where the, the tones are just not going to blend 100% and it's going to be a subpar movie at best. I, I like Age of Voltron. Get out of here. <laughs> True. 
Um, Arguments invalid. <laughs> I, I will say as far as like like details of the trailer go, some positives. Uh, Steppenwolf is the main villain, I believe, right? That's his name. Yes. Um, Steppenwolf and his army versus the Amazonians looks very cool so far. I will I will give it that. That looks like it could be a cool scene. Um, and then it looks like what could be an end scene where they're fighting his army with all the red around it and stuff. I love that. I think that looks. I think that looks really. Cool. I think it looks cool. I'm hoping it goes well. But one one thing I want to run across to you guys, and it's not a spoiler because the movie hasn't come out yet. Do you think that they're way over foreshadowing Superman saving the day at the end, or or do you think and hopefully they have something smarter planned that they're not quite revealing yet? Uh, I don't I don't really know where else it's gonna go besides that. You know, it feel it, it feels that, inevitable. that's what I mean. I hope it's smarter than that because if I if if we can predict the whole movie. Two three months out, I'm gonna I'm gonna be so frustrated, was, and it's entirely possible that, that happens. they killed him in the first place. Yeah, exactly. No, knowing he was gonna come. Out of all the things that the yeah. the trailer did right, I think showing these little bits of Superman is fine, just because the audience has been expecting and basically confirming that Superman's coming back for this movie, ever yeah. since that final shot of his grave in Batman vs Superman. Like yeah. It was a stupid yeah. plot twist that they threw in in a bad movie, so I don't think they get any points taken away for essentially confirming the removal of that choice in this movie. It's it's all about getting themselves out of the hole that they've already dug for themselves. Um, is this a is deep, I agree. Deep hole. <laughs> yeah, it's the best edited trailer so far by by a pretty good margin. It gets me the most hype I possibly could be for this movie which only hits a certain level because due to past precedent and the fact that, like you said, Jake, Zack Snyder and Joss Whedon's styles are very different. I don't. I have no idea what this movie's going to look like. This movie could very well be a disaster. I don't want it to be like Jake said. You never hope for that. But there's just so many question marks, and we're only a month out. Um, now, to, to get a little bit more positive, I really dig the red aesthetic. I think that's kind of that's pretty neat, and it's new. Um, I think Ezra Miller looks really good as Flash. I, I think the quips kind of work, Nate, just because I feel like that's in character for him. If every character is doing that, like if Aquaman is quipping this entire time, and if out, Aquaman's out of being this motorbike guy, he says, yeah, three times in the trailer. It pisses me yeah, off. <laughs> yeah, if that happens, then we're not we're not in for a good ride. Um, but if, if it's conditional to Flash in general, I don't have the problem with the quips, really. Um... It is going to be a complete 180 from the universe that Batman v Superman has set up. But Wonder Woman, I think, helped kind of soften the blow of that a little bit. We'll see. I It's as good of a trailer as I think possibly could come from this, but mm -hmm. I don't know how that much saying. Anyway, speaking of trailers that I personally think are pretty good, uh, finally, we have our second look at the long-anticipated Star Wars The Last Jedi. Something inside me has always been there. I've seen this raw strength only once before. It didn't scare me enough then. It does now. Let the past die. Kill it. This is not going to go the way you think. Fulfill.
having not gotten a trailer since April. Jake, Nate, and I were wondering, would we get another one before the release of Star Wars The Last Jedi in December? Well, we did during Monday Night Football of an absolute terrible game during the halftime show. Star Wars The Last Jedi is directed by Ryan Johnson. It stars Daisy Ridley, Mark Hamill, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, Adam Driver, Dom Hall Gleason, Andy Serkis, Benicio Del Toro, and of course, Miss Carrie Fisher. Tickets are now on sale. Lot to digest in this trailer, guys. Our first extended look at the movie in action besides the two-minute teaser. Jake, what did you think of the second trailer for Star Wars The Last Jedi? Um, We were talking about this a little bit in our, our group chat on Monday, and I think, and you guys can probably touch on this, you know, just as much, if not more. Um, so I'll I'll quickly throw it out. I think there's some some fancy cuts that are a little misleading, and I'm sure you guys are going to want to jump on that. My main thing is from a story purpose, Ray, as far as the trailer goes, Ray's training looks very cool. Um, a lot of it looks very cool, very intense, very well done. My one of my main thing is, what what the fuck is Luke's deal? Like we <laughs> like there's still like there's still a lot we don't know. The whole movie, like like the past trailers, this trailer is shrouded in mystery. Um, and you know Ryan Johnson announced over Twitter that Luke is you know the last Jedi that they're talking about, but like what what the hell? Is he talking about that, like, he's felt power before and it didn't scare him, uh, now it does? Who is he talking about? I'm assuming about? that he's, he's talking, talking about? about Kylo Ren. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's talking about Kylo. That's what I figured, yeah. but why does Rey scare him now if she's a good guy? And if if that's part of it, what is Rey's journey? You know, there's a lot of questions. Oh, no, that's pretty easy to digest there. Luke trained uh, Ben as Kylo uh, before he became Kylo Ren, and he was a good guy. The exact same position that Rey is in now. And... Kylo ended up turning to the dark side and using his powers for evil. So Luke is afraid that he's going to lead Rey down a similar path. That's what I, I got out of that trailer. I really dig that it, we seem to be getting this, like, jaded Luke, this old man, like, almost like old man Logan, Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Um, we're getting, like, mm -hmm. an old man Luke Skywalker where he's seen some stuff and he has left the world behind. And Rey's going to have to bring him back probably. Um, because he does not seem willing to help anybody with this kind of raw strength and power, no matter what the consequences are. Nate, what did you think of the trailer overall? Oh, I definitely enjoyed the trailer. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for this movie, and I hope that it isn't as underwhelming as uh, Rogue One was. Uh, we, yes. we got a we got a lot to to hype behind here. Like everyone loved the force awakens, uh, and cause it just brought back a lot of nostalgia in a fun new way. Um, we'll see if this is a proper sequel to that great, great start that JJ Abrams started out with here. I really hope it's his own thing though. Yeah, I agree. Sure. Cause, uh, going back to what we were just talking about with Luke being uncertain of training Ray here, we've seen that kind of, story a lot where the main character has to persuade the old wise man to train him like freaking karate kids done that we've seen that in um we've seen that in other star wars movies with Yoda empire and strikes back yeah <laughs> so uh right. there there's a very fine line where this movie needs to be different so i hope that the last line that luke says in the trailer this is not gonna go how you think it's gonna go really yes. plays out in this movie I do too. I I really wonder what that is. That's that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. I'm assuming he's talking to Ray, but the shot looks like he's on he's on the ground. So do they fight? Does you know? And if at the end when it looks like Ray is talking to Kylo Ren, it 
Maybe she isn't. If not, who is she talking to there? What is uh, what is Snoke's deal? Who is Snoke talking to? I'm assuming. Oh, I can't Ren. wait to see what they do with him. Yeah. There's a there's a lot of and the trailers do this so well. There's a lot of questions that you know we all still have. Disney does not screw around when it comes to Star Wars and its secrets. Um, Good. I've worked with I've worked at a movie theater the last couple of months, um, and we're talking about when we screened uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens and Rogue One, and the managers watched it to make sure that it would play correctly. Disney sent a rep to the theater to sit in the parking lot to make sure that they were the only people there. That's they nuts. do not screw around with spoilers at all. Wow. And they've gotten really good, like you said, Jake, at teasing them, showing us what feels like a lot but actually isn't that much. And that's by showing shots that probably don't match together and just getting us excited about the whole aesthetic. This doesn't look and feel like any other Star Wars film, in my opinion. Um, Ryan Johnson's style kind of mimics what J.J. Abrams did, but be- feels completely by itself. And I think that might be kind of funny we were just talking about Justice League because there's a cool kind of shades of red throughout this entire trailer and throughout the new poster that was released. Um, just yeah. small things like that get me really excited for this because Ryan Johnson is such a talented writer. He made one of the best science fiction films in the last 10 years with Loop and then made a great film noir with Brick. Um, and he just has such a sense for story and original story and i'm really excited to see what direction he takes it in for jj abrams to eventually wrap it up i'm just excited for this movie man i'm i really hope that it meets my expectations they are through the roof like they were for episode seven um which i hope ends up surprising me i actually agree with that as as excited i as i am for this i'm not like jumping out of my seat like I was with Force Awakens. Well, that was the first new Star Wars movie we'd had in 10 years. Like Exactly. Right. Yeah. This is the just... The first good I, one, too. <laughs> yeah. And it's just... Yeah, the first good one since Empire Strikes Back. Are we going to fight like for Return, Return of the Jedi? Jedi? Uh, I do, I, too. I but... put Return of the Jedi and Revenge of the Sith kind of on equal footing. They both have scenes that I really like, but then there's some moments that are kind of silly. Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. Um, Well, we'll see. December 15th. You can get your tickets now. People sure have been. Uh, you might go online and figure out that your local theater is sold out. Tough shit if it is. Um, you'll see it eventually. Yeah, I might be screwed. Speaking of movies that you want to see, possibly, where it's time for us to get into our review of Denis Villeneuve's Blade Runner 2049. I thought you might be able to help me with the case. Replicants are the future, but I can only make so many. I think I found him. That's not possible. I did your job once. I was good at it. Bring it to me. That was the trailer for Blade Runner 2049, the sequel 35 years in the making to the original 1982 Blade Runner from Ridley Scott, which opened, bombed at the box office, was subsequently attained basically cult god status by a bunch of film enthusiasts. Originally based on the Philip K. Dick short story, the 1968 Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, Denis Villeneuve, who directed Arrival, Sicario, Prisoners, he's on a roll to begin his big blockbuster career. Uh, Ryan Gosling is the star of this one. He plays K, and I'm going to try to be as vague with the plot details as possible because there's a lot to spoil here. He's a Blade Runner in a world where replicants, who are these android-type devices that mimic human emotion and human everything, 
Um, they exist, but they are under strict command by humans. He discovers a secret that could shatter the world as he knows it and buy them a war between replicants and humans. It eventually leads him to Deckard Shaw, played by Harrison Ford, the original Blade Runner of the first film. Lot to digest here. It's going to be probably a short little summation here at the beginning because really the only way to talk about this movie is spoilers, it feels like. But for now, Jake Hensler, on a very basic level, what did you think of Blade Runner 2049? I was actually going to say, uh, I think you should start first since we gave Nate started with Justice League. I started with Star Wars trailer. Let's hear Let's hear your thoughts very first. Um, so it's, it's hard because... It is hard. <laughs> It's, it's a matter of what you feel about the original Blade Runner. Um, and it's a matter of, do you think it's this classic that everybody says it is? And we'll get into this in our Freeze Frame separate show that'll be debuting later in this week. But I personally, long story short, I think it's a movie that really should be appreciated and has done a lot for the science fiction genre. But I think as far as how it integrates its themes, movies have surpassed it in talking about humanity. Like even Ex Machina last two years ago, kind of hit upon the same themes as Blade Runner and did it better. You know what I mean? So it's a movie that is very influential, but it's not a great rewatch. This movie, I felt, is better than the original in a lot of ways. It takes the same themes of the original and kind of develop them for a modern audience. It does different things, which a lot of sequels fail to do. It looks gorgeous. It's a beautiful movie visually probably one of the most stunning movies i've ever seen it integrates cgi probably uh one of the best ways i've ever seen as far as that goes too i found it a really intense slow burn interesting movie to watch i i don't know if i love it yet because it feels like one of those movies that will sit with you and get better on rewatch but as far as what I think of it overall, I do think it is a pretty damn good movie as of right now. And Villeneuve continues to do what he does so well, which is make these big adult works that are meant for different specific genre people. Um, so that's what I – it's it's hard to digest. You kind of threw me off guard because <laughs> I, I, usually, I usually swing it to people. But Let, let's hear it from Jake. I was going to say, maybe I should have talked yeah. first because I think you took a lot of my points. Um, I, I was going to say – as far as sequels go, I do really appreciate that they didn't go the run-of-the-mill route. Like, like they easily could have made this a lot simpler and a lot more generic, but they didn't. They, you know, the writers, the writers and Villeneuve, the director, took their time, really created and crafted a new, a new story that really flows with the original. Um, you know, and there's a lot more, you know, a lot more to it, a lot more going on. They expanded the universe in a big way, but. And I use this comparison when I saw you over the weekend. I will say I was disappointed in the same way I was disappointed with Hateful Eight by Tarantino. It's still it's still a very good movie. I was just kind of hoping and expecting more, you know? I liked it better than Hateful Eight personally. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know where I'm at exactly on twenty forty nine yet. I still liked it. It was still very good. I enjoyed it a lot. Um but I was I was disappointed in the sense that it's a good movie, but I was hoping for more. And I do think it's very, 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 very possible that for me this is a two timer. Meaning, I may I may enjoy it way more in a second time, may appreciate it more in a second time. And the best recent example I can use for that is Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Dawn I'm of, fully expecting to yeah, like it a lot better the second time. Like Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I thought was good, not great when I first saw it. 
And then a second time around, I was like, holy cow, I just missed something. And I'm wondering if Blade Runner 2049 is going to be the same thing because it was good. But I'm wondering if, you know, it'll just be much better the second time for me. And I think a part of that is how long this movie is. This movie is almost three hours long. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there's 249, a, right? Yeah, around that range. Um, and there's a lot to digest there thematically, visually, performance-wise. But anyway, Nate, what did you think of Blade Runner? Well, uh, not to repeat too much stuff of what you guys said, so I'll go through my highlights really quick. In terms of the original Blade Runner from 1982, the best things that that movie does is set up this world. And this movie takes that as a building block and grows it in such a fantastic way. Uh, That was hands down the biggest strength of the original, and it is increased tenfold here. It is awesome seeing this dystopia unfold in a very natural way it's very very cool to see even stuff is like the advertisements that you see in the world or the, just the way that people act is so lifelike and real it's very very cool um drew said this so i will i will elaborate on it a little bit um this is a gorgeous yes. movie i don't use that term lightly because uh, with the age that hollywood has gotten to Almost any movie can look professional and really, really solid, but this movie is freaking gorgeous. I could use every single frame from this movie and use it as a desktop background. It is that stunning visually. That's a great way to put it. It is is so good, so good. Um, None of us have really talked about actors yet, and I thought Ryan Gosling blew this out of the water. He was perfect as K, the... Blade Runner here. Harrison Ford was great. Special shout out to Ana de Armas as Joy. Um, Totally didn't even know who she was supposed to be from the trailers going to this movie, but I thought she was one of the coolest aspects of this movie. There is a major female presence in the supporting cast that I will run down in a bit, but yeah, especially her. She really stands out. She might be the heart and soul of the film, in my opinion, but continue. Yeah, and then uh, you have uh, Sylvia Hooks as Love, uh, one of the main antagonists of the film. Uh, Jared Leto is pretty darn good as Wallace, the the primary antagonist of the movie. Uh, and then you have some other great supporting casts uh, throw out. Um, who was it? Robin Wright as the the commander of the police force there. Yeah, basically the the, the disgruntled police chief, basically. Yeah. <laughs> really solid stuff from all the actors involved here. Yeah, I was I was a pretty darn huge fan of this movie just because it took the best parts of the original and really upped it up to the 11. It's it's really great what they did with the source material here and made it its own fantastic movie. Um, and it takes the themes of the original, which is kind of like the concept of mortality, and it, it builds on them in a way that's different from the the original film, which is something that really surprised me. I was expecting to go in and see kind of a and kind of the same story again, similar at least. But this movie is very different from the original in a lot of ways, um, ways that we can't talk about until we get into the spoiler section. But I agree about Ryan Gosling. I think he is stoic and he's stiff in the way that fits the character perfectly. It's absolutely intentional, and he is this fantastic cipher to see the entire movie through. Um, Just going through that big female presence in the supporting cast, like you said, Robin Wright is great. Uh, Sylvia Hoykes reminded me 100% of Robert Patrick in Terminator 2. 
Um, she is like this unstoppable, intense machine. Um, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on Jared Leto. I was not that impressed with him. Personally. He is definitely pretentious. I'll definitely give you that. They give him a lot of the monologues that kind of tie together the overarching points, and it, it can be definitely a little extra pretentious. It might have been the character writing, but yeah, he speaks in pretty much all metaphor to the point where his character's motivation wasn't really clear to me until that well was one after of my issues as, as well. Um, motivation, but it, on on the Jared Leto topic, I actually thought facial expression wise, I thought he was he was pretty intense and a, a kind of menacing with you know as far as face acting goes like it was pretty clear to me that he was not oh, definitely menacing he was pretty clear to me that just by d- despite his talking his facial expressions alone like this is this is not a fun guy this is not a nice guy this is not a a well-hearted man at or whatever um so i <laughs> i thought facial I, as far as like his face and you know the con- the use of his contact lenses and his eyes and everything um, I thought Jared Leto was pretty good, and I agree with Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling. They were good as well. Um, Robin Wright was very good. Um, I officially have a crush on Ana de Armas. Um, oh. I, I do. I thought she was she was so charming, and her the way her character was written is so is so interesting and so I don't know such a cool I, again spoilers, but I love the way her character was written, what they did with her, and I think she executed it very well. If we're talking about actors. And it's not something you'll get from the trailers, yeah, exactly. too, which I thought yeah, was I genius it. on the marketing side of this. And people have been actually kind of uh, having some problems with the trailers for how they kind of don't highlight all the female presence in the film. Uh, the movie underwhelmed at the box office. I don't think that would have helped very much. I just think this is a kind of a niche yeah. audience movie. Like, a lot of people are going to go into this and I think are going to be kind of bored because it is a long sit. Uh, it requires a lot of patience, but man, does it really pay off, especially if you can get through the first like 30, 40 minutes or so. Harrison Ford does not enter this movie just, until probably yeah. halfway, if even that. And when he comes on, he gives this movie an absolute jolt. I think this is probably the best he has been in a long time. In a role that yeah. was written, it feels like pretty organically as an evolution of pretty much the only carryover what feels like from the original Blade Runner. Um, There are themes of prejudice that have entered the fold here as well to add to the concept of mortality, and I think that's handled really well as how these replicants have become an integrated part of society but are basically like slaves uh, for a lot of the humans that use them. And all the hatred and all the seething kind of discomfort that comes with that I think was a nice element to add to it. I really enjoyed the score as well. Um, that this we'll get into it in ratings, but the the soundtrack here is really really cool and definitely makes use of a theater speaker system. Well, that gives me a nice uh, tipping point because there's really not much more we can say about this movie without spoiling the hell out of it. So we're gonna head into our ratings. Nate, I'll let you start in a moment. Let me just run down what the ratings are. Um, we go by a seat scale based on the best seats in the house to the worst seats. Um, a really great movie is A Royal Throne. Then we have a plush recliner, a wooden seat, a damp lawn, and a sleazy outhouse. And if we feel like the movie should be seen on the big screen, we give it a little icon of a bad bag of popcorn. So having said that, Nate, what do you give Blade Runner 2049? Well, I I really was tipping back and forth between two different ratings here for a while. But after letting the movie sit with me for a little bit, I'm very confidently going to 
give Blade Runner 2049 the first royal throne of our show. I wow. really, really love this movie. We pop the cherry. I'm definitely going to give it the bag of pop form identifier, if only for the soundtrack. You cannot appreciate the soundtrack in your home theater in any way that the way the bass lines work in this movie. It is overpowering in all the best ways that can only be experienced in theaters. I've, I'm pretty sure that the... I'm pretty sure that the score was written by Johan Johansson, who also did his Arrival and Sicario scores, and it's like a beautiful mixture between those two scores and the Blade Runner one. Mm -hmm. Hans Zermer also worked on the score, which is probably why I like it even more. <laughs> um, in, in terms of this movie, it it is one of my favorite types of movies. We talked a little bit a, a couple shows back about ambiguous movies and how I'm not a huge fan if the subject material is ambiguous. This movie has questions that are unanswered, but the subject material and the themes that it lets you think about are very, very clear. But it gives you so much to think about. Um, what does it mean to be human? How human are the characters in this movie? Are there winners and losers? How important is it to be special? It's really, really cool. It's one of those movies that really makes you think and appreciate and grow to love a movie. I really, really enjoyed it. Wow, our first ever royal throne. Wow. Jake, are you going to be his prince? Are you going to take another royal throne right next to him? Or what else are we talking about here? Um, I wanted to. I I really wanted to. And I think there's there could be potential on a second viewing. Um, but for now, I'm not going to walk down that, that master hallway. I'm not going to walk up those, those marble steps. And I'm just gonna walk right down to my living room and sit in a plush recliner. That's all it. And it's very good movie. Um, but I'm gonna give it the plush recliner and definitely a bag of popcorn because, vi you know, you guys are right. Sound, great and visually, I think it's near impossible that this movie doesn't get Oscar nominated for cinematography, set, visuals, special effects. Yeah, effects like production you know, design, sound yeah. like uh, like set production, all of that. It's almost. It's almost guaranteed to get, like, five of those Oscar nominations. Like, without a doubt. I mean, there are some, like, Jared Leto's main office where he mainly stays. Beautiful, beautiful set and, and lighting. Um, the, where we first meet um, Harrison Ford. Stunning, stunning visuals. I mean, all of it is just, it's just beautiful. But I didn't quite love it, and I'm going to give it a nice, comfy plush recliner. It's worth the watch. Definitely seeing in theaters. Um, if you're interested at all, definitely go see it in theaters. But I'm not quite over the moon. Hey, hey, um, hey, Jake, is there is there room for one one more there? <laughs> is there room for one more? I'll sit <laughs> yeah, in a buffer smell. seat. Sit in I a buffer promise. Seat. I'll I'll put a buffer seat in between us because I'm also <laughs> going to give it a plush recliner. Um, I really did enjoy this movie quite a bit. It's definitely in my top ten for the year. It's just a matter of where it is in the top ten list. Like Jake said, on second viewing, this movie could jolt up, possibly. There is a lot to digest. It's definitely a two-timer. Um, visually, if Roger Deakins does not win the Oscar for this, it's gonna it's <laughs> it's a conspiracy. Because this movie this movie is stunning, like Nate said over and over again. And it's stunning in how it tells its story too. Villeneuve is a master storyteller for movies that have big reveals and movies that have intricate details you have to pay attention at every moment 
And that movie, this movie prides itself on that kind of intent, that kind of science fiction geekery. It is really one of the best, block, certainly one of the best blockbusters of the year. It's definitely one of the best films of the year. Go see it in theaters if you can, on the biggest screen possible, plus recliner for me. Anyway, those <laughs> yeah, are our ratings. Like, yeah, sounds like sounds like I'm all alone on the the royal throne rating system here, and that's all fine and dandy. I, I'm going uh, to be stingy with royal thrones. You'll I'm you'll sure. learn this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I will I will put two two asterisks is next to my name here. Um, you'd have to see the original Blade Runner to appreciate this movie. Um, even just from a plot standpoint, you won't follow what's going on if you go into this blind, I think. You need to see the original first. You don't have to enjoy it. I'm not a huge fan of the original, um, but you you have to see it first to get a sense of what's going on. And that's true for most sequels, but definitely relevant here. And this, the second thing is that, yes, this is absolutely a long movie. You got to be mentally prepared for it. Right. And there's a lot that happens in that long movie. So we're going to talk about some of the big spoilers of the film. If you have not seen Blade Runner 2049, um, please tune out now. If you have seen the film, or if, uh, Jake, I'm going to say it, if you don't care about spoilers, please join us now in our spoiler section. Whoa! Oh, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Excuse me, spoiler alert! So guys... There's a lot to talk about here. Yes. Um, I barely even know where to start. But one thing that I that I want to address that I was absolutely shocked that this movie didn't directly address is the big question from the original film, the ambiguous question from the original film. Does this film ever address if Deckard is actually a replicant or not? Nope. not. And that's why I love it. That is absolutely why I love it. Not directly. <laughs> I'm leaning – after the first Blade Runner, I was leaning he is – after this one, I'm leaning he's not. And there are just little hints at, like, he's not, like, he's not, he mean, he, you know, him and Ryan Gosling fight, but there's a scene when, like, like the police come after them, and he opens a door and runs through, and Gosling barrels through a wall, you know? That was awesome. That was very cool. Really, really but cool. There are, and just, like, an offhanded thing there that builds on the movie so much. Yeah, and there are, there are things like that that they just, I feel like they hint at, you know Harrison Ford not yeah well not to be gross about it but do replicants have sperm I like you don't know is that a thing that they like did, they're completely they... bio biological copies completely. by all means they should okay so all right so that doesn't address it every blockbuster that comes out and this is a lobby talk for another day but every blockbuster that comes down comes out at its root is about daddy issues <laughs> every single one well we can go through the list another time but there's at least three off the top of my head that I can think of this year that are about daddy issues. Um, not that that's a bad thing per se, if you're doing it in a different way, but ultimately the boiling down of it is um, Harrison Ford and his lineage, you know, and the and how that will affect the replicants and the humans going forward. I think there is definitely potential for a sequel here. Um, I don't know if... I'm kind of hoping yeah. so. I don't know if I'll I ever see it though. I don't think it's a necessary sequel to have, to be perfectly honest. See, for for me and Nate, Nate, you're gonna you're gonna come through the computer and smack me. I feel like the ending could have been a midpoint to this story. You gotta elaborate. I don't understand what you mean there. The, the very end scene yeah. of the movie, I feel like, was a reveal for a halfway point to a bigger story. I don't it disagree very well with that. could. Yeah. 
Like, I feel like there's a whole, there's an entire second part of the story that nobody, like, we don't know what happens with Jared Leto. We don't know what this rebellion means. They only, there's only one scene on it. Holy spoilers if you're in and don't realize it. We don't know if Gosling dies or not. There's, like, so many things they don't touch upon. What Harrison Ford and his, and his real daughter are doing. Like, there's a million things that I'm just like, you gotta touch on it. We have to know. <laughs> See, that's... <laughs> so, holy spoilers. That's the but... ambiguous ending that you were loving about Mother a couple weeks ago. <laughs> Ooh, he got you. I know, I just feel like, I feel like this was in a extremely long story. I feel like it's just the first I think I think that's just part you know? of the, the film noir style, is letting the bad guy get away, um, having good people die is just par, par for the course in these types of stylistic movies, sci-fi aside. Um, so... Uh, is if there's a sequel, will they want to know those answers? Yes, but I don't think a sequel is necessary for us to enjoy this movie. I I do have a question as far as bad guys go. What can we elaborate on Jared Leto's motives? What was his name? Wallace, Wallace? Yeah. Neander Wallace. Can we elaborate on on his motives because that was one of the things Me I was too. confused about in the movie. His he kind of talks around himself, and I couldn't quite get it. It felt like he was in the movie more, and Villeneuve handed in a three and a half hour copy, and they were like, "Yeah, no, that's not happening." So they cut a lot of his scenes. Um, but he speaks pretty much exclusively in metaphor, and I'm going to let Nate take this one because that was an issue I had as well. It's probably my main issue with the film is I didn't understand what was going on with the Wallace character in general. Wallace is, for my in my opinion, kind of the incarnation of progress taken on a dark turn like he wants to be able to reach for the stars and enhance the human race and he has no issue being a bad guy to get there first that's of all, why is he human is yes he's human he is okay uh, he's blind he is? oh i was under the impression yeah, they didn't no, really blind. make that clear either um i i I didn't know that during during watch, um, but there are three shorts that were made in promotion for this movie where it's explicitly said that he's blind. So those oh. little rocks that float around are cameras so he can see. I don't want to do homework. I agree. And I wasn't a huge fan of, of that aspect of learning about, oh. but that just wasn't as vital to his character. Um, his character is how far does a man go to progress or to achieve progress in humanity he makes for he makes for an interesting villain but i definitely preferred uh the the terminators uh sylvia hoeks am i saying that right yeah yes she um, was cool i preferred her as as the as the villain here who was just there to to kind of break face and achieve her goals no matter what harm it caused to other people totally Devoid of emotion, which was really cool to see. Such badassery oh, yeah. from her character. She's there to make sure Ryan Gosling has blood on his face the entire movie. Yep. <laughs> the entire <laughs> yeah. film. Like, dude, take a shower. I saw you take a shower. How do you still have blood on your face? <laughs> um, Denis Villeneuve is such in fucking control of this movie. It's oh, unbelievable. Yeah. He's just, he's so talented. And he, just like he did in Arrival, the reveals are timed and executed perfectly. And my favorite of, of all of them was Kay assuming he was the chosen one and then finding out he's just some old shit. Like, he, I love that misdirection. Yeah, it was great. It was so great. I was in... That is where the movie really started churning up to great movie for me. But I think the best and most subtle plot twist in this movie was when Kay 
was walking uh, toward the end of the movie by that really huge pink hologram. And the hologram addressed him as, you look like a good Joe. And that's when he realized that his AI girlfriend throughout the whole movie was just following another protocol. He wasn't special in regards to the other replicants in this movie um, by being a chosen one or anything like that. And he wasn't special to his girlfriend who was just following protocol by making him feel loved. He I was got big a complete... vibes of Spike Jones's her from that. Oh yeah, it was it was yeah. huge. And seeing this man go from I'm important to realizing how insignificant he was is fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. That was that was where the mm-hmm. movie really did like the full full blown royal throne for me. Just watching his <laughs> watching this man's descent into realizing what he was and then choosing to make a name for himself by saving Harrison Ford's character by and getting him to his daughter at the end of the movie was really powerful stuff. That's where this movie really got me. It's such a big screw you to the whole, like, chosen one archetype that we see in dozens and dozens of movies. Like, Mm. no, he's just a guy that got wrapped up in this situation. Nothing he knows is real, and his memories aren't his, you know? So he's just a guy out there trying to figure out his point in the universe, and does he ever actually figure it out? That's just something that we're all trying to achieve, you know, or is he just a really good helping hand for the people in need, like a cop is supposed to be? Right. Absolutely. He, Ryan Gosling, really does put a lot of subtle things in his performance. Like, he has this stoicism that he has in a lot of other movies that I think works to varying degrees in other films, but it's perfect for this role. And the way he moves, it's actually it's really subtle how he moves. Sometimes there's one shot, I forget when it is, but it's it's over his shoulder, and he's moving stiffly kind of like a robot would. It's a small, little tiny tick that really made me appreciate everything that he did in this film. Yeah, and his stoic nature uh, throughout the majority of this movie makes the scenes where he expresses like real, raw emotion all the more powerful. Right. When he realizes that his memory is a real memory about the horse, and he screams in that tank, beautiful. When he is dying at the end of the movie, stunning. Perfect. A plus. Give this man five Oscars. I loved him. I really, really loved him in this movie. He was perfect for this role. Would you nominate him? Do you think that's a potential? There's potential for that to happen. I, I mean, hope we have so. to see how the rest of the race shakes up. But mm-hmm. not not only do I was was he good, but there are there are a lot of critics saying that like he was fine and Harrison Ford way overshadows him. Which I don't know if I agree with that, but. I don't think a lot of people are appreciating him like Nate. I do oh. think Harrison Ford comes in and steals his scenes. I really <laughs> like he he is fantastic as well um, as a man who's just been out of touch with time for so long um, and is faced with potentially getting back the thing he loves the most. But at the same time, you know, the greater good is at hand as well. Sure thing. Yeah, Harrison Ford was really great here. I like that he wasn't the focus of this movie. Me too. Um, they they kind of did the same thing that Star Wars did, where they let him have his good moments, but they didn't let it overshadow the the front runners here in the rest of the supporting cast, which I thought was excellent writing, um, just to make sure that he wasn't the entire focus of the movie once we got to his character. 
and to continue to heap on the praise to Ana de Armas, um, it felt it said a lot that I felt really bad when the emulator was stepped on and she mm-hmm. was destroyed. They established such although a, that w- they made that very obvious. Yeah, well, I yeah, mean, you, well, you could see it coming. They way overshadowed. That it, didn't make but... it any less heartbreaking for me though. It, they had established such a great rapport, especially the most touching three way I've ever seen. <laughs> that was <laughs> just so trippy to watch. I loved that. Like, I thought that was so. I, yeah, in, I thought the intense. the effects in that scene were great. Like yeah. one of one of my least favorite aspects of the original was the the romance between Harrison Ford's character and uh, his love interest there, whose name is yeah, because he's basically Harvey Weinstein. Um, yeah, uh, but and so when this scene started, I was like rolling my eyes. Oh, here we go. We got to have some emotional attachment in my sci-fi movie. But it was just so visually interesting to watch these two not-quite-human people try to have a real intimate connection. And, like, it was it was just so bizarre and entrancing to look at. Really, really cool Nate, stuff I was, the CGI. I scene. was laughing when I was watching her specifically, and the effect on her is great. She's not completely a solid human being, but I'm just picturing you in Adobe Premiere, like, oh, I'm going to take the opacity off of this shot, this shot, this shot... <laughs> So she gradients right through. <laughs> it's like Perfect. Nate's paradise. Um, oh. I think just to run down a little bit. First, oh, one more thing before we get to kind of not a wrap up per se, but kind of a tipping point. Barkat Opti's in this movie for like five minutes. Why can't he get steady work? Yeah. <laughs> that totally threw me off when I when they when they showed him. I was like, Wait, oh, what is that? Hold on a second. Why is he in this for three yeah. minutes? What's going on? Just for audiences who don't recognize the name, he's the I'm the captain guy. I'm from, the captain now. Uh, captain Phillips. I'm the captain now. Yeah. Phillips. Um, yeah. Good call, Nate. We should explain yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. I just I just threw out a random name, Somalian name. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. You could yeah you could have said David Wright, and people would have been like, who what? The, the, the Mets third baseman <laughs> is in this movie. <laughs> um, another David that's in this movie that's not in it for a long time, but makes an impression. Dave Batista in his one scene at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, he's very good, actually. Yeah. I like him a lot. Yeah, I, it's good to see a different shade of him, considering he's usually so jokey as Drax. Um, but that kind of transitions into, I think we should just run down some of our favorite visual moments that we haven't touched. Everything in Harrison Ford's nuclear wasteland wow. area, inside the casino, outside the casino, in the nightclub area, where Elvis keeps popping in and out, that and was the lights great keep too. strobing. So creative. Uh, Dave Batista's farm at the beginning just how visually murky it is and foggy. It felt really film noir to start, even more than the original Blade Runner at points did. Uh, the records room in Wallace's headquarters, like you said, it was reminiscent of Tyrell with the first, with the gold kind of aesthetic, but I really enjoyed that as well. And I loved the scene where he goes to talk to uh, Dr. Staline, um, the creation of memories, who ends up being Deckard's daughter. Um but the creation of memories sequence is just a fascinating oh, element yeah. that really expands, oh, yeah. expands this universe. <laughs> well, there you have it, listeners. Uh, Drew just listed off literally every scene in the movie. Looks beautiful. <laughs> um, I will, I will just uh, say that this movie did a great job um, lighting the dark scenes. Like there's scenes in the the furnace place where other movies would have just had really dark movies. This one has a great job of contrasting the frame so you have bright and dark areas so that way you can still see everything that's going on but get the impression of darkness which is really hard to pull off in camera Mm -hmm. and i love the orange aesthetic 
too. Um, I love that that's becoming a thing. Wonder Woman did the same thing earlier this year. That was one of my favorite sequences from that film. Um, yeah, sure. I love the use of orange and red and all of these different colors in our blockbusters. They Mad don't Max. have to be murky, like you're saying. Mad Max, especially, yep. I think, might have been the start of that trend. Good point, Jake. Um, so, anyway, I think we've reached as much as we can without completely spoiling Blade Runner 2049 for you. Jake, why don't you give us your th- final, final thoughts on 2049? Okay, um, well, one thing we didn't talk about, actually, is I thought, though it's not, like, an action-packed movie, scenes in it are well choreographed. Like, Ryan Gosling is pretty a lot more badass than I expected him to be. He gets himself out of situations. Mm-hmm. He puts, you know, he puts people down pretty well. He's pretty he was pretty fun to watch. I like the action a lot. Um you know, everybody, even people, like even the critics who are kind of mediocre about it, everybody as high as you can be or as low as you can be on this movie is saying visually stunning. And that that rings true. I can't it's it's one of those opinion facts where like technically it's an opinion but it's so true that it's a fact now like the movie is factually beautiful um it just no way you can't you can't dispute it it's beautiful looking um generally i think the name of the game for me is um a second viewing because i i did like it i did definitely enjoy it i just i gotta i gotta see it again this happens to me every so often dawn of the planet of the apes is my best recent example um I really just, I really need to see it again. And I'm, I, I'm excited to, because I liked it. But um, there's a lot of positives. I was just slightly underwhelmed on our first viewing, and that could change. Nate, I don't know if you can go any higher than the ceiling, but will a second viewing help you out? Oh, I can't wait to see this movie again. I'm going to rewatch the original Blade Runner with my dad, and then we're both going to hop in theaters and see this one again. And I can't wait. Uh, this, uh, just for my final thoughts here, Yes, it's long. Um, yes, it is a sequel that you have to watch the original first for, but it is so worth it because this movie is not just a movie that can make you think, but make you feel. And that's really hard to do, especially in the sci-fi genre um, with so many expectations put into this movie. But the director of Villeneuve is turning into oh, one yeah. of my favorites. After Arrival, after this one, he is just... Five for five in terms of he's his a, most recent movies, and he is a master, master director that is going to be one of the biggest names to know 20, 30 years from now. I'd, I'd say Villeneuve is officially one of the best directors working today. Yeah, I from the movies I've seen of his, his worst his worst movies for me are like an 8 out of 10. <laughs> yep. I mean, that's, that's incredible. <laughs> this, this might be his worst film. Um, for me personally, and that man does that say a lot. Yeah, like for for me, his lowest movies are are sitting around eight out of ten. He's unbelievable. It's been less than twenty four hours since I've seen the movie, so I'm still fresh on it. Um, and having this mm-hmm. discussion with you guys has really helped because I'm liking it more and more as we talk about it. Because I'm remembering. <laughs> Agreed. I, I told I totally you. Agree. I told everyone that I you totally guys would be on my side by the end of this. <laughs> it's just it. It's a beautiful, well done classic sci-fi film it's a movie it's probably one of the best sequels of all time um it improves upon the original in a lot of aspects i think great performances great production design amazing effects and cinematography i sound like a broken record here absolutely go see this movie on the biggest screen possible amen hallelujah that'll do it for our review of blade runner 2049 and for this week's episode of the middle seats podcast but before we go nate lungarini how can these new detectives find us around the web 
Sure thing. All right, here's how you can get in touch with The Middle Seats. First and foremost, you can find us on YouTube at The Middle Seats. So please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so we continue to grow our audience. You can also find us on our Facebook page at The Middle Seats Show, as well as email us at themiddleseatshow at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, please reach out to us there on social media. If you have not gotten a chance already, please check out our spinoff show as well, Freeze Frames, where we dissect an older movie in a short 10 to 15 minute segment. Last week we did Edge of Tomorrow. This week it will be of the original Blade Runner. We'll get to talk about that movie more in depth, so check that out. Next week on the main show, we're going to be talking about the new Blumhouse horror movie, Happy Death Day. So Friday the 13th is here. We're going to go see a spooky movie for that. For Jake Hensler and Nate Lungarini, my name is Andrew Oje. Keep that seat warm, everyone. We'll be back very, very soon. 